Linda is a dear friend of mine. We just came back from an Avengers Summit in Jackson Hole, which is a twice a year friends retreat that I run. And we're, we're pretty tight and we've had a lot of experiences together recently. So this is gonna be sort of a different conversation, but I know we're gonna get lots of good stuff out of her. I aptly nicknamed her the Shadow Queen at this recent event. So let's get into it. Linda, can you tell me right out of the gate about your your whole theory around the first trauma that somebody experiences or the first like really significant emotional event sort of affects the rest of their life. What was yours? So I think the memory that um, always comes up was when I was um, one about to turn two. And um, I remembered that my brother had a birthday party and um, I didn't have one and I then a few months kind of coming close to my birthday it was weird like I, sh I don't know why I remember this but I do I was saying to my mom that like am I gonna have a birthday party am I gonna have a birthday party and she said she was saying yes and then um, something happened and I remember that there was this kind of excitement leading up to my birthday and then when my birthday came um, there was no birthday and everyone was really sad and they were, like no one was really responsive and I think I, I took that to mean that like there's something wrong with me I'm not I'm not good enough to have a birthday party for um, when I was 22, I found out that my mum had had a miscarriage like a couple of days before my birthday, which is why. So she was so surprised that I knew about that because I was two years old. So, but I could sense the energy. I, could, I knew that there was excitement and all of a sudden there wasn't. But in that moment, I think I, I made it mean that like I'm not as good as my brother because my brother had a birthday party and I didn't. And that kind of probably affected my, my view of myself in life. The fact that you have that memory is kind of astounding and tells me a lot about who you are now <laughs> at that age to, to even remember anything like that, even even through like like an ayahuasca journey or anything to have that memory come up is pretty, pretty incredible. So how what were the early events that happened in your life that you think that affected for you or how did that um, alter your perspective on things? Um, so so that i realized that people's um identities falls into four brackets so i can tell you what i've realized now and how i can see that that has played out so the four brackets that that falls into is that whenever we experience our first trauma we make some decision of ourselves that is um some version of i'm not good enough and i have like a two to four hour process, which is my clients have said it's the equivalent to 10 to 15 years of therapy that helps people figure out the specific decision that they've made. And mine is that I'm not valuable. So the four ways it manifests is that we look for evidence that we're not valuable. We manufacture evidence. So we'll set things up or set people up so that we can be right that that in my case they don't value me um we push love away um so when i get evidence that i am valuable i sabotage it in order for me to be right that i'm not valuable and the last one is that i've learned to manipulate love so i try to make myself valuable to people and that has been significant in my life because we went from living in nigeria in a very abundant lifestyle and family my dad was a millionaire to moving to my mum moved into London with the three of us, so me and my two siblings, and she was pregnant with my fourth sibling, and we just had the complete opposite kind of life experience in terms of living in scarcity, having no food for days, not having any electricity or, or like gas, so we would wear our outside jacket inside and do our homework around the fireplace. And by the age of eight, I said that like I had to take care of everyone and I had to take care of my mum, so I started braiding hair which has served me now because I do my own hair now um, 
and I was babysitting it and um, pretty much worked most of my life so I didn't have a traditional childhood but later on I realized that I took on so much responsibility because I was trying to show my mom how valuable I could be to her so this is the sort of way that I would manipulate love so even though it's a gift and it's a strength of mine and I'm able to show up for people um, when I'm coming from a place of survival it tips into this kind of need for people to see me so I'm doing it in order to be loved in order to be liked in order to be seen as someone special or valuable so it that's the how the survival mechanism kind of shows up and it's caused me some issues um, over the years so yeah wow <clears throat> I got like three tangents to go off of with that the first one is you mentioned that there's four ways the, the four ways, and you, you ran through them, but just can we summarize those four ways just in one line? So you learn to manipulate love, right? That's one. Manipulate love, push love away, manufacture evidence, and look for evidence. Got it. Okay. Look for evidence, manufacture evidence, push it away, and manipulate it. Those are the four? Got it. Thank you. I'm going to make notes of that for everybody watching. So then uh, second tangent is, so you grew up in your dad being an entrepreneur and a millionaire in Nigeria, and then your mom and your dad split up for some reason, which we can get into. And then you moved to London and went from being an extremely affluent family in Nigeria to being the exact opposite in London or in the UK in general. Was it in London? Yeah. So you've kind of had this really interesting, um, I would actually call it perpendicular lives of affluence and non-affluence. I assume you've carried over kind of the mindset of both into adulthood, which as I've known you, there's been periods of time where you are like, like mega affluent as well and periods of time. So it's, it's like you're, you're able to live between both worlds. I, I have so many questions about that, but what, you know, there's so many beliefs and I've experienced so many differences myself between like affluent people and non-affluent people. And they have on both sides, they have beautiful beliefs. There's some that are not as good beliefs and some that are very good. And I feel like you might be in a unique position having had the childhood be so different that you could kind of take the best of both eventually. And, and it would be easier for you than other people potentially to take the best beliefs. What are your favorite beliefs from like your father and all of that? And then what are your favorite beliefs from your mother and how you grew up there? Um, so I think it's interesting because I was speak I speak a lot with my little sister about this and she she's been telling me that <laughs> that I don't realize how lucky I am that I grew up um, had the like the the most impressionable years living in affluence and then having the rest of my life in like scarcity um, and I didn't really get it but now I do because the the what I got from my dad is that like I don't really care about money in the sense that like I don't um, I don't feel like it's hard to get um, I don't like separate myself from people as well there was a period of time when I did when I was feeling insecure but um, the amount of money that people have doesn't really affect me it doesn't I don't feel less inferior to people that have more money um, it seems to be easy for me to make when I put my mind to it to make um, and then on the flip side with my mum, I think what I realise is that um, I'm not scared of having nothing. So it allows me to take bigger risks in life because if I lose everything, I'm just like, it doesn't matter, I'll, I'll figure it out. So I can go from like, and, and also it makes me adaptable to different environments and different people. I can go to the village in Africa and, and sleep on the floor and bath from, um, have a bucket bath and be in absolute luxury and enjoy to the, to the limit both of those experiences because it just, yeah, it just is what it is. So I guess there's less attachment to how I need things to be um, and it allows me to be a little bit more open-minded and playful with the different um, different circumstances that I find myself in. You said that when you put your mind to making money, it's very easy, it just seems to come easily to you. 
What are some of the, because I know you and I know you've done things to help that process. What are either questions that you ask yourself or mindsets that you choose to take on in those times that you think help kind of open the water faucet, so to speak? What are the things that either help you that you've realized are subconscious and what are the things that you choose to do differently that turn that on for you? Okay, so the so there's con, there's conflicting beliefs, right? Because the, the scarcity belief is I need to be in scarcity to work hard, to motivate me to make money. And then there's I'm tired of working hard, I just want to make money. So when I'm in the I'm tired of working hard, like how can I make money? I look at, well, how much do I want to make? All right, well, I want to make 10,000, 20,000 this month. Um, what do I need to do to do that? Well, I just need to secure a premium client or I need to, so I'll figure out, I go to the end game and I figure out what I need to do. And then I just take a few actions to do it and it usually lands. So um, I think we were, there was a time when we were at an event together, um, I think it was Portugal AFES and I had like 250 pounds left in my account and then by the end of that trip I had 20,000 in my account and it was like a we were there for less than a week so okay okay let's break that down for a second <laughs> when you have 250 pound and you walk away in a few days with 20,000 what's the what does it feel like? Like if you go back to that moment and you say like, I'm turning the faucet on, there's probably a, a difference in your body, right? Yeah, so I kind of feel like, so I don't, <laughs> my sister said that my life stresses her out, um, which is interesting because it doesn't stress. I'm like, if I'm not stressed out, why should you be stressed out? And the reason it stresses her out is that I'm, I'm comfortable to get to like the last pennies and then make make the money that I need to make. So when I'm usually in that state and I'm like ready to access whatever I need to access, I just feel like it's done. Um, and I, I don't know how to describe that. I'm just like, all right, I know it's coming in. It's all taken care of. It's good. And then I just look for the opportunities. And then, yeah, there, so there'll be a conversation in AFES. I'm like, okay, this person needs my help. Let me tell them how I can help them. And then all of a sudden I close a deal and they're transferring the money into my account. So, and sometimes it comes in the strangest of ways. So I had a situation with a fest Jamaica. I've never, I don't spend debt because I've got some trauma because of the amount of debt my mom got into. Um, and when I went to a fest in Jamaica in 2018, um, my mom had died. I'd become guardian to my little brothers. I'd walked away from my business, lost all of my money, and I didn't want to get a job. I promised myself when I was 25 that I'd never work for anyone. And I was struggling to figure out like, how can I, I've got so much to do with looking after my little brothers, trying to keep them in the house that the government was trying to kick them out of and um, doing all these law cases and dealing with my brother who was in a behavioral unit and trying to get him back into mainstream school in time for his, just a lot going on. And I was like, I don't even have capacity to work. And at that time I hadn't figured out what my new venture or the business was going to be. And um, I spoke to a coach that I was working with at the time and he said, what are your options? I was like, well, I guess I could get a part-time job Job, but I really don't want to. And he said, those, sounds, those sound like actions from scarcity. And he said, connect to the feeling of abundance. So I closed my eyes and I felt abundant. And he said, okay, well, what options come now, um, come to you now? I said, well, I've got a ticket for this event called AFEST and there's usually really inspirational, like entrepreneurial people there. So if I go, if I just put it on my credit card, even though I don't want to, by minimum, I'll get inspired um, and then as a potential I could pick up a client and then he said well that sounds that sounds better so as soon as I bought the ticket on my credit card an old client of mine from my um, last business sent me a message and said Linda I know you're not in recruitment anymore but we've been trying to fill this MD position and we're struggling and I know that you're really good at it would you be able to help us and and just like that there was 15,000 in my account from an executive recruitment position. So um, stuff like that just tends to just happen. How did the recruitment business happen? Because I know you, you had that business and you built it up pretty large. How did that happen? Because so I, I want to get into like your whole 
methodology that you work with now. And I hesitate to call you a coach. I feel like there's a different name for what you do, but, and, and I say that because I know you work off this, like many different processes that you've created versus coaching where coaching is like, it is, it seems quite different. And I'm really excited to get into what it is you do and why you do it the way you do it. But you also weren't just a coach. You also built a recruitment business before that was big. What's that story? How did that happen? Uh, so when I was in um, university, I always would say that I never want to work. So I wanted to be a singer. I didn't actually want to like do anything else professionally. And my mum, being the eldest girl of seven children, my mum said like, just go to university because if you don't go, then you're gonna give everyone else an option not to go. So I got her to choose my course and I hated it, but I got my head down and like studied. It was coding, like multimedia and computer, so computing. So it was web designing and doing Java and Oracle programming and trying to figure out where the comma was and like pages of code that was making the code not work. It just wasn't my thing, um, but I was able to grab graduate with a good grade and um, I would say to my friends like you guys are going to get jobs I can't see me getting a job I'm going to have my own business like I'll, I'll see when I, I just knew um, and then I got my first job in a corporation I fell into recruitment because I wanted to get into investment banking because I was trying to figure out the quickest way to make as much money as I can so I can do what like just get that out of the way and do what I actually want to do and sing um, but my why was look after my family so when I applied for graduate jobs in banking and uh, investment banking and I got rejected I didn't even get an interview I was like okay what's the next place I can go to where I can make money quickly and I started seeing adverts for recruitment jobs and it would say 100k OTE and I was like what does OTE mean so I didn't know but the entry requirements were pretty, pretty minimum it's like degree from anywhere so I started going on these interviews um, got my first job in a uh, <coughs> recruitment corporation and I asked the manager who was interviewing me um, what does like what does the top biller make and he said right now he's making around 150 to 170,000 a year I said how long did it take for him to get there he said um, two years I said what does he bill to get that in commission he said about 600,000 which is pretty high and I said, okay, I'll do it in less less time. And I was a graduate and he laughed at me, like, who does she think she is? Um, and within six months, I was on track to bill in 1.2 million for the company. Um, I was making six figures at the age of 21. And um, they nicknamed me Robot because I'd come in at seven o'clock before everyone else came in and I'd leave at like 10 p.m. because it's, I just like, I don't have time for this. I just need to hustle and, and make money. But um, when I was going to get my first commission check, they were like, you're going to get 11,000 this month and you're 21 years old. Isn't that great? And I was thinking, but I billed 70,000 this month. Like, why should I be excited about the 11,000? Like, clearly it was great because I've never earned that much money before, but I knew how much work I was putting in. And I was like, this makes no sense in terms of like the reward. So I wanted to leave from my first job to set up my own recruitment business, but clearly I, I was new to the market. And I spoke to an uncle of mine who was a, a business owner and he was like, Linda, don't do that. Like get, get um, experience, stay in the company. And I shouldn't have listened to him. I should have just followed my own desire, but I didn't really, I kind of raised myself. So this was like the first time I've seeked advice and someone told me to stay in. So I ended up working for a large corporation, a boutique, and before I started, a, a joined a startup as a partner. And then within a few months of working at the startup, I got an ultimatum to either keep my opinions to myself or leave. And I was like, this is a new how yeah right so i was like this is not this is not a decision i was like this is easy i was straight away oh yeah okay i'll leave no 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 linda we value you i think we should just think about it and i was like no 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 i'm gonna leave and that's kind of how i started my recruitment business and staying in those jobs for as long as i did affected my confidence so for the first 18 months of my oh, trying to grow my company i couldn't i struggled um and also i had 
fallen into a depression and had a couple failed suicide attempts before I started the business. So I was working with a lot of internal stuff while start trying to start a new business. And eventually yeah, it clicked and I was able to, to grow it to what it was. So. Wow, lot of lot of epic tangents to go on off of that. I have like a sort of an intuitive question to ask you um, right out of the gate with that because you mentioned the, you know, the ultimatum of trying to keep opinions to yourself, which brings up a question that I have for you that I think would be really valuable, like to listen to for the next 70 years. And that is you, you have, you know, obviously a, a very uncanny ability to ask penetrating questions that if people can answer for themselves can really change the trajectory of their life, which I feel like you've done many times for yourself, which is, why you're at the place that you're at and why you've experienced all these amazing things and terrible things. But, you know, terrible things are not necessarily bad things, right? But that's a whole nother subject. What, what one, two or three questions come up for you that anyone could ask themselves that you feel they might be avoiding asking, but would be really important for their like long-term fulfillment, success, happiness, um, yeah um so one of the key questions that i ask myself that like my clients usually struggle to answer is um how is this serving me so but not in in relation to something that i don't like that i'm doing so if i'm broke for a period of time i ask myself how what is the payoff i get from being broke because then I have to be honest with myself because if something is happening repetitively, then I'm creating that repetitively. So there must be some sort of payoff that has me create that repetitively. And once I can allow myself to be honest and say, okay, well, when I'm broke, I'm not responsible for anyone else. No one has to bother me to ask for help. Like I get real about, ah, okay, I'm using this as a way to hide from certain responsibilities or, boundaries that I don't feel, I feel com uncomfortable um, setting. And then I'm like, okay, well, do I, do I want to be broke or do I just want to set the boundaries? So then it allows me to then either take ownership of what I'm creating and being like, okay, well, this is what the payoff is. So let me just own the payoff or I'm not committed to this anymore, which is the other question. Like, what are you committed to? You committed to keeping things the way they are or stepping out? Because usually the actions that we need to take to have us be our most powerful selves are the scariest actions. So in order for me to get myself to a point where I can move towards the direction I need to move in, I have to ask myself, like, what am I commit more committed to? Am I committed to expansion? Am I committed to growth? Am I committed to living my full potential? Or am I committed to playing small? And my personality, the playing small is never gonna be an option, but just asking myself the question just humbles me to that decision. So what, am, what is the payoff or how is it serving me? Um, what am I committed to? And um, the other one is, the, the question that is probably the default question for almost all situations is what would love do? So those are my three. Mm, what would love do? <laughs> that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to answer. So let me share um, one thing about uh, an exercise that I did with Linda this past week in Jackson Hole at that friends retreat. And it kind of relates to that, what would love do. And I feel like it illustrates that where when we talked about these first traumatic experiences and how those maybe have affected the perspective of everything that we do in our lives, at the very end of the exercise, um, going through this whole process, we described essentially what would a loving version of us do, not what would a hurt little boy or little girl do. And, um, that's kind of like looking at this list of traits of what that would look like saying like are these actions that i'm taking coming from these ones or are they coming from those hurt little boy traits for for myself personally so you mentioned a couple suicide attempts when you were in your recruit recruiting either working for the corporation and or your recruitment business 
how how and I, I don't want to make light of these things because I've had friends pass on from that and many friends who have attempted as well. But when you ask yourself the question, especially now being more removed from it, and if you want to, you can answer like in that moment, what would you have answered so that if there's anyone going through that right now, that's listening to the show, you know, there might be something we can say for them like now and what they could ask themselves. And then, you know, you being 10 years removed from that experience, what you might say. But how was that serving you? Yeah, great question. So that was actually what got me out of depression. Um, being depressed, so because I, I needed to be valued because that was my root trigger, um, I extended myself to take care of everyone else in my family without taking care of me. And I would sacrifice eating to make sure that they had food. I would sacrifice paying my bills to make sure my mom's bills were paid. So I was, and then I was working ridiculous hours um, at work to give to my my organization. So with all of this giving and not, not no replenishing, I broke. And then when I was working with a coach, the coach will say to me, who said you had to do that? And I was like, what do you mean? Who said I had to do that? Who else is going to do it? And I would argue with him like that was like the dumbest question he could ask. And he kept asking. And then I thought about it. Who did say that I had to do it? And I realized no one said I had to do it. I made the decision. And then I was like, so why am I exerting myself so much? And then I realized that I didn't, my mom didn't necessarily, she didn't show me, me love um, in the way that she showed my siblings love. She was there for them, she was, but because I was so independent and because I was helping her so much, she kind of looked at me as a peer. Um, she said later on, um, once I had recovered from depression, that she saw me as her husband and she was scared that if she mothered me that I would stop helping her. But mm. I was chasing for her love. So it served me because it made me feel significant. If, the, if I made them dependent on me, then they needed me. So that even, even though I was resentful about it, I felt that was the way that I manipulated love. It was like, you need me. And if I wasn't there, you wouldn't be able to cope without me. So therefore you love me. So how it served me was um, like creating, actually, no, that's how the role served me. So how did the depression serve me? So it got to the point where it was too much to handle and depression, instead of me saying, I can't do this anymore, or this is what, what I can offer as help because I need to give myself what I need. I hadn't, I didn't have the skill to do that. I just had the skill of saying yes. So by becoming depressed, it was kind of like, oh, look, I can't, I can't do anything. Like I've got this Ill mental illness that's not in my control. So depression served me as a, again, uh, a way to avoid responsibility and to receive care. Because if I'm sick, then I need, they need to be concerned about me. They need to worry about my well-being. If I'm trying to kill myself, they're, they're gonna be concerned. And it was the way that, again, I manipulated love in a different way. So I manipulated love by, you need me and I'm gonna exert myself. And then when it got too much, I manipulated love by breaking so that you guys can show me attention because instead of me asking for affection and making myself feel vulnerable, which I felt was weak, I was, I, depression was the way that I got the concern and the love that I didn't, I wouldn't have got otherwise. So that's how it served me. Hmm. And now to, to add a little cherry on top of what I learned from your workshop and, and other things is those same actions that you had been taking to take care of everybody could be done from a place of obligation, which is what breaks you or a place of love which will inspire you and give you energy and put you in the exact opposite situation of like complete and total fulfillment from service to others through love. And the reality is you have to ask yourself, like, where is this coming from? Right. And if it's coming from that place of like, I'm forced to, or this is like how I'm manipulating others to get love by like doing so much, then, you know, it will create these, these things. Right. And there could be a harmony too. It doesn't necessarily have to be all one way or all the other. Right. But for you at that time, it was like all through obligation and it was just like this pattern. Right. And then the depression helped you break said pattern and probably gave you enough of a reprieve to start to look at the situation and see like a, a bigger view, a zoomed out view of it to start changing things. Best thing that happened to me when people are like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sad that you, and it's, and it, it's, 
it's a strange thing, but I get excited when clients come to me and they're at a point of crisis. I was so hard headed that no one could really contribute to me. But when I hit depression, it was such a place of helplessness that I just wanted anything. Like I would take any advice. I was willing to try something new. It didn't have to be my way. So I kind of needed to break to build myself anew. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's now over the years, what I've been cultivating is that sensitivity to know what's the energy behind what I might or what I'm doing. Am I doing it in order to? And if there's an in order to be light, in order to be seen as or in order to then it's coming from fear if i'm doing it from i am fully taken care of and i have all of this abundance to give of course i'm going to do it for you and it makes me feel good because it does feel good to give when it's coming from abundance but when it's coming from that place i don't need appreciation i don't need validation and i always use the metaphor to describe it um in terms of if you had two men one of them was homeless and they had like a i'm british so a five pound note in their pocket and you had a billionaire that had a five pound note in their pocket and for whatever reason they both lost a five pound note the homeless guy is going to freak out because he doesn't know when he's going to get it anymore like it was the only five pound he had he doesn't know where his meal is going to come from so when you're coming from a place of scarcity you can't afford to lose what you have whereas if you're a billionaire and you lose five pounds it's like it's not even a blip on your radar you probably won't even notice that it's gone so if we can fill ourselves up so that we are the this is for billionaire right where we're billionaire billionaires within then we have an abundance to give so we don't need anything to come back we don't we don't care whether we give and we don't get anything back because it's just like i have so much that it's nothing so that's yeah that's the the magic that's that's what would love do because love would be love yourself and fill yourself up and then show love from that place rather than i'm empty so i'm going to show love in order to try and get it back that's that doesn't ever work that's beautiful that's so beautiful i'm gonna i think i'm gonna take that little section out and make that like its own little thing it's so beautiful so I kind of, I feel like I have a desire to sort of like um, toot your horn or like stoke your fire a little bit because I think it will be like obviously great for us, but also really good for the the viewers, listeners. Um, we did a lot of exercises in Jackson Hole around envisioning like beautiful futures, right? And spending regular time living in the emotions and living in the imagination of those futures. And through that process, as you shared your various visions for the future, I'm curious if you'd be willing to to talk about like your goals and dreams with the work that you do now and the processes and what you're building it into and, and what you'd like to see in the world through all that. So I kind of don't have goals and dreams in relation to my work. So it's um, it's very it's spiritual for me, right? I left my recruitment business not knowing what my purpose was, and then I had this pro period of four years where I was. I thought I was searching for my purpose, but all I was doing was. Um, unlearning who I had become so that my purpose can kind of come through me rather than me finding it. And um, that's what has happened. I've been aligned to my gift. So what I describe now is that I'm just obedient. I like I never I live in Mexico now. I would have never guessed that I would live in Mexico. I've created these processes that help people kind of fast track their transformation by bringing like the 95% of their subconscious patterns to the surface so that they, they're empowered with choice. And I'm like, is it this simple? Can it be this quick? So I'm just in this kind of process of more and more surrender and allowing myself to be guided. And it feels like it's getting to the point where the processes have been proven over and over again and now it's time to scale it i don't know what that looks like i'm not attached to what that looks like um and a few coaches have been trying to take the process themselves so then that's kind of given me an indication that there might be um a path for um creating a, a licensing model or a create accreditation model that will teach other coaches how to use the processes in their practice so that they can get the same results for 
for their clients. So um, it's really, it's a fun process of, I have no idea where this is going and I'm fully in and committed to showing up in whatever way I need to show up for this to be scaled. So in terms of like vision for the business, I, do, I don't know where this is gonna end. But I, but in turn, we had to create one at Avengers and I did see myself, I've had this recurring vision of being on stage with like, a, just a sea of people and um, just having this kind of award ceremony where we're talking through case studies of the miracles that people have created in their lives and Oprah's hosting the event and um, kind of, yeah, acknowledging, it, it was just a celebration of, of the courage that people have taken to um, be their best selves and create magic in their lives and, and therefore in their communities and in the world and um, so yeah that was an exciting vision to have but yeah I don't I don't have goals for the company I don't know yeah yeah so to to kind of put that in what it's saying to me or what I hear you saying is that you did all the things that you thought you had to do in the easiest ways that they came by in your earlier life and then you had massive success, but massive, massive burnout because of going down a path that, yes, massive success, but deeply, deeply. Um, I mean, it wasn't just the thing that you were doing. It wasn't just the recruitment business, right? It was the recruitment business along with all of these things of obligation stacking up in your life that eventually led you to going through this really intense period where you're like, okay, I've got to stop all that. And then you went through this period where you're like, okay, what am I really here for? And you can't really seek that out, right? It, it kind of seeks you out or it just starts to happen. But you've got to be in such a total state of surrender to allow those things to come through. And then you've kind of just got to start doing it, even though it may not make any logical sense. And you're going to need a lot of support and a lot of help and a lot of good people around you to allow that. And there's that's a big journey, right? To get the right people around you and to go to that state of surrender and be, you know, safe financially in a health component. Like there's a lot of privilege that goes along with being able to, to kind of activate that purpose within yourself over time and allow that to come through. And you could be doing other things along that journey. And then now you're in this place of like, sort of allowing that if we could call it like divinity or spiritual essence to kind of move through you. And I've seen you do this where you're like completely like channeling things as you're working through people's questions and, and even your own, which brings me to uh, the next like thing I was thinking we could talk about here, which is one of your big journeys that you're on right now. And we can cut this out if you're not comfortable with me talking about it. But one of the big journeys you're on right now that I think a lot of women and men listening to this could benefit from hearing your process with it is calling in like a really exceptional, awesome partner. And you haven't done it yet, but the things that you're doing to do that is sounds very similar to the difference between the recruiting business to doing what you do now. And it took time. And it took a lot of surrender and it took a lot of learning, right? And figuring out like once you've got the mission to do what you do now, then you have to figure out how to systemize it and do it in a in a predictable way that you can at least plan your life around, right? What are the different things that you're doing right now or what are questions people could ask themselves to begin that journey for themselves to calling in like a really incredible partnership, um, romantic partnership in their life? And if you want to tell any funny stories around that, you could do that as well. As long as, you know, it's not going to like harm other people. You could change names or whatever you want to do. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, because of the role that I played in my family growing up and being that person that took care of everything and everyone, um, my first serious relationship, I did that in the relationship. I took care of everything and, and him. So, um, and I guess that's one of the things that contributed to the depression because I was managing my family's household, managing my household, working, taking us on holidays, paid for our, my own wedding. Um, I didn't end up getting married. I, I canceled it four months before the, the wedding. And the reason why is because my sister came to stay with me for two months and she asked me a question and she said, um, what does he add to you? And it wasn't anything bad against him. I think she just was living with us and she felt like there was no, there was no 
passion in my life. I was kind of going through the motions, which was the majority of my life. That's all I knew. So I didn't know any different. And I thought it was a really stupid question, as I usually, as most profound questions that change the trajectory of my life, they started like, why are you asking that? That's dumb. Um, we had known each other from the age of 14. So I was like, what do you mean? We know each other, we love each other. He's like the godfather of my, my friend's child. Like he's fully integrated into my life. And she was like, you're not answering the question. And then she said, what would happen if you left? I was like, oh no, I can't leave because of me. He's doing this and he's doing that and he's doing that. And then she said, all right, well, what do you lose? And I thought, huh, nothing. And then it made sense because he would ask me, he would say to me throughout the relationship, like, you don't need me. And I was like, this should be like the best situation for you. What do you mean? Like, why do you want me to need you? Like, you're, you're, you're fine. You don't have to worry about anything. Like, I, I'm, I take care of myself emotionally. I'm like financially independent. I'm like contributing to the fact you, you're living the life. But he didn't, relationships are not, you kind of, they're give and take. And there is something, my friend said to me once, Linda, you're hard to love. And I said, why am I hard to love? And she said, because you do so much for me and I can't do anything for you. I'm like, why does that make me hard to love? And I know the joy that I get when I'm given from abundance, when I do from people. And I didn't ever think about what I take away from people from not allowing them to do for me. It's getting me emotional. So... I can only imagine what he felt like being in a relationship where he couldn't, he couldn't contribute to the relationship. And he was getting really insecure and feeling like, what's the point of me being here? So we, it was probably the hardest decision to date that we had to make because he didn't do anything. And it's not that we didn't love each other, but I was like, I would have to be a different person in order for him to be happy because he felt inadequate. Um, so that's why we broke up. So I was like, okay, well, I don't want to break anyone else's heart. So I have to look at me. And at first, I, well, for the first three years after I broke up with him, I didn't go on one day and everyone thought that there was something wrong. They're like, how are you not even going on a date? And I'm just like, I've got a lot to work on with myself, with getting over depression, growing a business, like I, discovering who I am when I'm not being everything for everyone else. That was a whole process. Um, and then when I did eventually start dating, I would realize that I would go on dates and people would say, well, what do you do? And I say, I run a recruitment business. And the guy would be like, oh, great. And then I could be a stay at home dad. And, he, and I was like, he thinks that's funny. And then I had to realize, hold on. I'm a tr I know that anything that's, it, that's happening in my reality is a direct reflection of who I am. So if I have gone this long with feeling like the way that I get love is to give, of course I'm gonna attract people that wanna take. So I have to learn how to receive. So again, like you, it is the same, the same journey from the recruitment business to what I'm doing now in terms of I had to unlearn who I was in, as a person um, in relationship. And as the more and more um, I have learned to ask for help, I've learned to receive help, I've learned to receive, like I had to just see my value <laughs> and all of these things had to shift. And along the way, I've been single for 11 years, so it's been quite the journey. Um, I've had interactions and situations where I've gotten to know people for a few months, but it hasn't been the right person. But I, along that time, as I've been changing, the type of men that have been showing up have, has been changing. So what, how I approach dating is that I look at what I need to shift within me. So depending on who's showing up will give me an indication of what's going on with me in terms of what I'm attracting. And a lot of women or friends that I have get triggered by that because it's like, no, it's men that are this and this and that. And you, it's not about you. And it's like, why does everything have to be about you? And I'm like, well, thank you for that. But everything is about me because I'd rather feel empowered to know that I have the opportunity to change my experience rather than giving my power away to this is this way because of something outside of my my um my control but i do have a strong feeling that i'm getting closer to me and my guy so um yeah that's that's my mm -hmm. process look look within yeah i'm no expert in this conversation but what i do know about being um friends with with a lot of men right and me myself being like a very what i would consider like 
masculine man, right, is something that's so important for us is to like contribute in a pretty massive way. And I think that's a little bit biological, like to feel needed, either a protector or yeah, the logistics person, right? Like these types of things. And I've seen it in the past where I've been out with women who can do all those things for themselves and are not open to someone else like handling those things. And is a, yeah, that's really tough. It's really tough to be attracted um, for, for me. And I think there's, there's men like you're describing who maybe those aren't their strong suits. You know, they're not um, what one might say is like a physical warrior. They might be like a love warrior or something else, right? And they can have that title in many different ways. And again, I'm no expert in all this, but, I, but I've experienced that myself. And it's a, it's a big journey. And I think to the opposite, I, I've almost been on like the opposite journey in some ways where I kind of embodied everything where I, we are opposites, right? So I grew up without my mom around and you grew up without your dad around. So there was a lot of like mom things that I would do, uh, growing up or that would just be absent from my life. So I, have yeah i've been on like a similar but opposite path where it's like allowing more of that if you would call it feminine or translate in your head whatever word makes sense for you or idea or concept makes sense but allowing more of that energy in which is that like nurturing and caretaking where like it's been a that's been a big journey for me is like allowing someone to nurture me ooh Ooh, that's so like vulnerable to allow that pleasure and allow that um, softness um, to to just exist around me. Um, so it's it's interesting that that's like a mirrored experience for us, and that's probably why I'm like so I'm always interested to hear like what's happening for you in that and like what's that journey like because because it's similar for me is like figuring out. I just realized that I have a snake plant crown on the Zoom, on the on the main video they can't see it. How awesome is that? I'm detoxing the air out of my crown chakra. <laughs> Anyways, um, so let me ask you, if if there was any like single message where I always start with that preface, right? Of like, if this is one of the last conversations we ever get to have and get to share with people, if there was one like single message that is kind of like coming to you that you're like, wow, I really... I really wish people could could know this thing or at least be introduced to some concept. Like what would be that message, if anything, that's coming up for you? Like I really I really want people to hear this or really want people to think about this. Uh, uh, Skip, you have this way of like making me emotional. So um, the thing that drives the work that I do is that... <laughs> It breaks my heart to see people feeling stuck or helpless um, and thinking that there's no way out. So the one thing that I want people to know is that we are like at the end of most of my posts or anything I write, I always end it with you're more powerful than you know. And the reason I keep reiterating that is because there are times where like I've been so broken that I wanted to take my life. And then there was a fight in me at some point that completely shifted that. And now I live this amazing life and I can't imagine wanting to, to take my life. So um, the one key message is like to just know that everything is an illusion. Like your brain is constantly, it's just working overtime. You've created these beliefs and these patterns that have you see a skewed version of the world. There's a quote that says that life is abundant and humans are limited. So if you just know, I'm just being limited and just keep bringing that to your awareness. I'm just being limited and just see the ways. So I guess this is why you call me the shadow queen. I think it's really important to look at the shadow so that you can know, oh, that's the shadow. And I just need to step here to be in the light. Because the more you do that, the more you will overpower the shadow with the light. So just knowing 
that if you're feeling stuck, you're feeling helpless, you're feeling fearful, it's an illusion that your mind is creating because it's trying to serve you and keep you safe. So ask yourself different questions and lean on people and ask for help and there is a way out and it doesn't, emotions are temporary, they just last longer because of the attention and the energy that we attach to them. So that's what I want everyone to know because the more we can do that, the more we'll move from these low vibrational experiences and emotions and um, ways of being and we will shift the consciousness of the world and we'll just operate in more love so that's what i want people to know <laughs> wow wow thank you for that wow so when people listen to this and fall in love with you where can they go to get more linda where can they go um to learn more about you this is what i'm working on and this is what you're probably going to help me with but i do have an instagram which is linda mbagu um mbagu spelled m-b-a-g-w-u um i'm not yeah i i don't even have a website yet so if you there's there's links on my um on my instagram to book a call with me or um i might get better at the visibility thing moving forward but yeah, Instagram or Facebook is probably the best place to start. Awesome. And then uh, I feel inspired to ask another question. Are there any books, if if this conversation has inspired people to learn more about these various things, are there any books you'd recommend, like one, two, or three? Yeah, so my favorite books are The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer and probably The, the Surrender Experiment as well, which is his autobiography. Um, I've probably listened to it on, um, on Tether Soul on Audible about 35 times and get something new from it each time. Um, Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, because there's a power, the power of now, and that's the only thing that's in your control. And finally, Sea of the Soul by Gary Zukloff. Those are the key, wow. key books. That's, that's definitely like a... A really nice one-two punch combo there of if you did those four books that would be intense i actually have not read um seat of the soul and i have not done what was the third one that you just recommended there it was untethered soul surrender experiment and then power of now i haven't done the power of now either so this is great for me yeah i'm going to be on all these this is going to be amazing thank you for the rec no you're welcome you see, I just pulled a Kyle right there. Thank you for the wreck. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for being so open and so vulnerable. And thank you for that mix of shadow and light that we just got with like your big, bright smile while you were talking about all these really intense things. So um, I'm super excited. I think, I think this is going to be so beautiful for people. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me. When I saw you stay stars I knew it wouldn't be the last time scrolling through the memories of when we began I couldn't find a single regret we could Sky.